Well, we'll start with uh, we'll start with the prayer. Heavenly Father, through the Lord, we come to you as we come to your word again. We pray that it will live for us and that we will see, hear your spirit and the how you work with people. As we think about Timothy and how you worked in those early days, we know that you are no less active in our age and in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray that you will teach us and show us your way and that we might go that way, and that we might stop at the red lights and go at the green lights that you give us, with all our heart, soul, and mind. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, we're going to go on now with pushing on with Acts 16. So, Paul went also to Derby and to Lystra. Now, these were the places he'd been and had been completely persecuted in. And you might think, well, what's the point of his life? He must have thought that. He must have had his low moments, although they're not recorded for us. But he must have thought at times, what's the point in this? I go, I spend my whole life doing this. Town after town, I go there, I go preach to the Jews. Yeah, there's a bit of interest, and I get beat up, and like he was stoned and left for dead, etc. But out of all that, actually, came Timothy. There was a disciple there called Timothy, the son of a Jewess that believed, but his father was a Greek, a Gentile. So, his mother was a Jew, but his father was a Gentile. And what that means is that she had, as they would have called it, married out of the faith. If you're a Jewish woman, you're supposed to marry a Jewish man. But she had married some Gentile guys, so she'd have got the flick out of organized sort of hardcore religion but when Paul writes to Timothy he says I remember how strong was your mother's faith and that of your, your grandmother so this is the, the position we get time and time again ok that's the end, after this one that's the end of the coffees ok um, <clears throat> time and time again when you're in the Acts of the Apostles you see that the Lord is working with non-standard people they're all non-standard. Actually, everybody's non-standard. But uh, the point is, this guy, this Timothy, his mother was a, uh, a Jewess, but she married out of the Jewish faith. And, well, she would have been a bit of a nobody. But she came to Jesus, because, Paul says, later on, it was your mother and your grandmother who taught you the faith. And you see in verse 3, Paul circumcises Timothy. So he's not been circumcised. So she has gone right away from Judaism because if you're a good Jew, you're supposed to circumcise your kids. Well, she hadn't done that. And so you get the impression, yet again, of somebody who is a bit on the edge, somebody who's not standard, somebody who other people think has left the faith. And actually, when you look at all these people, they're all the same, all the same. And this is typical of how God works with people. One here, one there, but we're all non-standard people and that's the odd thing when you walk into a sort of white middle class Protestant church in some suburbs you think wow these people are all standard people, they all look the same, they drive the same kind of nice cars, they live in the same nice houses, blah blah and I'm not saying that those people don't believe I'm not a judge of, of other people's faith, but I do fear I do fear that a lot of that is mere tradition trooping along the church because that's what mum and dad did because that's your tradition and the fire of the spirit is not there, I fear well, anyway this young man was well reported of by the believers at Lystra and Iconium 
But when you read Paul's letter to Timothy, he's saying to him, look, you're a young man, you're a young man, and this is now some years after this, it's when Paul's in prison, um, and you need to watch out for this, watch out for that, watch out for women, and, and this and that and the other, uh, blah, blah. Uh, so when he became a, a believer, he would have been not much more than a boy. But that's all sort of valid in that sense. And he was very zealous. But when you read what how Paul writes to him, and you read later about how Timothy was with Paul, he was physically quite weak. He was physically quite weak. And Paul says to him, you know what, you ought to drink a little bit of wine because you keep getting tummy upsets. So you get the impression of a young guy who was not physically strong, got tummy upsets and, and all this kind of thing. Um, and yeah, this is how God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek or a Gentile. There's some seats over, over there, and there's one right at the back. So, <clears throat> we saw yesterday, Acts 15, there was a big argument in the church about circumcision. Because some of the Jews said, you can't be a Christian unless you are circumcised. And a big blow about this, big blow up, and then Paul says, no, 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 it is quite okay, it is quite okay, to be baptised and to be a Christian and you don't need to be circumcised. And the Holy Spirit confirmed that decision. So you don't need to be circumcised. Absolutely, you don't need to be circumcised. But Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him because of the Jews. Why did he do that? Well, in the previous chapter, he's been making it very clear that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not. No, it's not an issue. It's not an item. Well, he did it, it seems to me, uh, because he did not want to offend, to make to stumble those Jewish people. He could have said, look, guys, no, my young man here, Timothy, he's not circumcised, and so what? But no, he makes that decision. But okay, as he says, I will try to be all things to all men. And that is how it is. If you want to help people, you have got to make a bridge between yourself and them. You've got to come to their level. You've got to think, not about myself, but how can I be helpful? I don't want to put up a barrier. I want to be helpful to you. I was 21 years old, and that's, you know, getting on nearly 40 years ago, when I decided I would not drink alcohol, not because I was an alcoholic, not at all, but because I could see that if I drank alcohol, it was going to encourage people who are struggling with alcohol to think, ah, oh, Duncan drinks, ah, oh, I, I can drink. No, it's not a sin to drink alcohol. Of course it isn't. But that was my decision. And it's a bit similar to how Paul says, although he says circumcision doesn't matter, but he takes Timothy and circumcises him. He says, come on, if we're going to go and do uh, ministry work, preaching the gospel to the Jews... It's a good thing if you are circumcised. So, you know, we try and make ourselves as sort of accessible to people as we can. And unfortunately, amongst religious people, not spiritual people, but religious people, there is a strong sense that, um, well, this is true, I'm going to stand on what I believe, and if you don't like it, that's tough, it's your problem. It's not at all the way of the Spirit. It's not God's way with us. It's not the way of the Lord Jesus with us. 
they don't say, well, look, guys, here's the standard, you stick to it, and if you fall off it or you can't take it, well, tough. No, God comes out to meet people. God wants to meet people. He, he runs to meet people as far as he can. And that's how we've got to be with people as well, in all our relationships, not sticking on this principle and that principle. Oh, this is a matter of principle. This is me. Like it or leave it, you've got to just stick it if you don't like my positions. That's not... That, that is narcissism. That's all about me. That's egoism. That, that is not the way of spirituality. So as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which had been determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. That was the agreement that said, if you're baptised, you don't have to be circumcised. So although in one hand they're, they're telling people, look, you haven't got to be circumcised, yet Timothy was circumcised so as not to make people stumble. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You read that also in the early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles when they're going around baptising people. And Peter's baptising like 3,000 people and then maybe another 2,000 people the same day. And in all the examples of baptism in the New Testament, when people decide to be baptised, they are baptised immediately, the very same day. Because, Jesus says, he who believes and is baptised will be saved. Unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there is definitely a connection between baptism and salvation. Definitely. You've definitely got to be baptised. And so when somebody was interested, oh, that same day, they were baptised. And that's why it says the church increased in number daily. Because they did baptisms immediately. As soon as somebody believed, they were baptised. That's very different to how it is in a lot of churches around here. If you go to church and say, hi, Mr. Pastor, I want to be baptised. Oh, well, that's good, but you need to just come to our church for a couple of months. And here's our statement of faith. You've got to learn all that. If you agree with it, well, the elders will have a chat with you and uh, probe a little bit into your private life. Um, are, are you this? Are you that? Are you, you're, you know, living an upright sort of Christian life. Yeah, if you pass all that, then we're baptising. This is totally different. That is religion. That is totally different to the example you have got in the New Testament. Well, no question. But this is absolutely different. Where, as we read these things, you, you, you see that they saw you talking about eternal life and eternal death. And you could have a more important situation. Somebody wants to be baptised, right, right on. I'm trying to, just you now I was texting on WhatsApp, and I was talking to a bloke up in Luton, trying to persuade him to be baptised, and if he says yes, if I can arrange things domestically with the family, I'm going to drive up there, baptise him. I don't know if he's going to go through with it or not, but straight away I'm going to say, oh, well... You know, you must go through a, a, a course of instruction and uh, all this kind of stuff. This is totally foreign to what you read in the New Testament. When people are convicted that I'm a sinner and I'm going to die forever, and yet I could live forever, and I've sinned and I desperately want to be forgiven, right on, you're ready. And so that's why the churches grew every day, because people were baptised every day. 
So in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now Asia, I mean Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today. So they were all going home to preach the gospel, but through the Holy Spirit, they were blocked from going into what we would call Turkey. When they came to the border of Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. It doesn't say how that worked. It could have been that they, I don't know, bought a ticket on a boat, set off on the boat, and they, I don't know, there was a, a storm, and the boat got smashed up, and they just about got back to shore. They tried again, and the same thing happened. It was a red light. You're not to go there. You're not to go there. And you think, why not? I want to preach the gospel. Why is God, you know, putting a block there? And we all have that in one way or another. Even if you are not a preacher, a missionary, but you will find that, that, that sometimes God blocks you. And why? A really good job comes up. You know, that would be great. It's walking distance from my home. Um, yeah, that's just something I'm really good at. I could really do that. Block. Why? Um, comes in relationships. Oh, me and her, we'd have been great. We'd have been the great pretenders. But no, no, that, that, that's all stopped. And you think, well, why? Um, accommodation. Oh, man, that, that studio flat, that would have just been great. Oh, block. Well, why? And if it happened to Paul, with all his zeal to preach the gospel, well, don't be surprised if it happens to you. So to be a Christian is not to sort of go smoothly gliding on sailing through life and everything goes fantastic and everything goes awesome and it's green lights, green lights, green lights. No, 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 that's not how it goes. Anybody with any experience will tell you that. That's not how life goes. There are these red lights. So passing by Mycia, they came down to Troas and the vision appeared to Paul in the night. There was a man, and I think the Greek implies a warrior of Macedonia, standing and urging him and saying, Come into Macedonia and help us. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, Macedonia is in what we would call Greece. The land of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon, etc. So... <clears throat> They'd had a red light and a red light, and then he sees a vision, and there's a man from Macedonia saying, come to Greece. You're blocked from going to Turkey, so come to Greece. But he only got that call after two red lights. So why'd you get red lights? You know, why'd you get blocked, this, that, and the other? It's so that when you see the green light, you say, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the place. Yeah, this is the one. And if you hadn't have had all the red lights, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that sense. You wouldn't have that, like now, you know, he's so enthusiastic. Oh, well, I've got, I've got to come on from the Lord. I've got to come on to go to Greece. Oh, well, oh, yeah, I, I'll be shooting out there as fast as my two legs can carry me. But he wouldn't have concluded that unless he'd had these red lights. So you wonder why, you know, life goes belly up sometimes and why you get blocked on this, that and the other well, at the time, you cannot attach meaning to event. You can't say, oh yes, well, that uh, <laughs> calamity happened because of this, that, or the other. No, this is where you live life by trust. And as I keep saying, 
The word for, tr- for belief, faith, it means to trust. That's what it means, to trust. And I know in English those two words are a bit different. Um, but in, in Russian and all Eastern European languages, the, the two words are the same. You can see the difference. Faith and trust, it's the same. It's the same in Greek, Hebrew. But in English, as I say, those words are slightly different. Um, but that's what it means. To believe in God is to trust God. To believe in Jesus is to trust Jesus. And so when you get those blocks, the red lights, you know, forbidden to go to Asia or Turkey, as we'd say, um, forbidden to go into Bithynia, the red light. Oh, but then the man of Macedonia appears in a vision and says, can you come over here and help us? Oh, yeah, straight away, like grease lightning, to Greece. Well, he was a man, he was a warrior of Macedonia, and the men of Macedonia were thought to be sort of stereotypically like warriors. As I say, Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon, all these guys were yeah, the archetypical strong warrior guy. So there's this strong warrior who says, come and help me, come and help us. Well, does a strong warrior need any help? Apparently so. And I think that's the idea, that in one sense God requires not help from man. God can do what he wants, he's sovereign. But in another sense, God is in need of man. God is in need of man. In the sense that God sort of structured his purpose so that he chooses to depend upon us. Paul says that we have been entrusted with the gospel. It's like we're the employee, the boss says, look, I'm going away. Um, So God trusts you, this is the job, these are the resources now, you're not going to let me down, are you? You're going to do it, you're not going to nick the money, you're not going to go boozing, you're not going to... You know, sit and watch EastEnders, you, you cannot actually get on and do the job. Yes, sir. Yes, I promise you. And that is how, how it is um, with, with God and us. You think of those parables of the talents where Jesus tells a story, a parable, where the man has got all these talents, uh, as in weights of gold, and he goes away and he gives some of this money, this gold, to each of his servants and says, now, you occupy with this until I come. When I come back, I'll find out how you got on. So he's, in that sense, gone away and left us with a job. And, you know, it's the same here. This man of Macedonia says, come and help us. So, well, you're a great warrior. What do you need little puny me for? You know, the likes of Paul and Timothy. Timothy with his tummy upsets and things like that. That's it. God does want us to help him. It is like the dad who says to his little boy now, come on, you help daddy. Oh, well done. You know, you help daddy do this job or whatever. You know, that's how God is with us. Absolutely. So, when we saw the vision, we immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, putting together, figuring out that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And life is never better than when you know you're doing God's will, when you know you're on a job for the Lord. Everything somehow works out. Setting sail, therefore, from Troas, we made a straight course to Samothrace in the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a city of Macedonia. We made a straight course. Why does he bother 
mentioning that. Of course, in those days, it was all dependent on the wind because they had sailing ships with the sail. And if the wind was blowing the wrong way, well, you're not going to get very far. But Luke, who's writing this, says, yeah, as soon as we set sail, we had a straight course. The wind was behind us, blowing in our sail, and we were not, you know, if the wind was blowing sort of the right way, but a bit to one side, it was a bit tricky, because you're going to get, just, you're going to miss your destination. But he says, we set out from Troas to go to Samothrace, like in, uh, in Macedonia, and wow, the wind was exactly behind us, and exactly heading to Samothrace. And we went with straight course there. Well, in Hebrew and in Greek, the words for wind and spirit are the same. The same in, again, in a lot of languages, actually, um, that wind and spirit are the same. In English, no, in English is so difficult as a language. But wind and spirit are two different words. But in a lot of languages, certainly Hebrew, Greek, it's the same. Wind, spirit, is the same. So, the wind was directly behind them, blowing them directly to Samothrace. We made a straight course. The wind is the spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was behind them, absolutely taking them direct on their journey. Now, that's how you want to live. Not pussyfooting around, not scratching your head, wondering, is this the right thing to do? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I'll try this. Oh, that didn't work out. Oh, I'll try this, that, the other. Oh, that didn't work out. No, there's no better way to live, believe me, than, than knowing that I'm honestly on the right track here. I, I'm doing this for God and the Lord Jesus, and their spirit is absolutely behind me. And somehow, despite all the red lights that you do get and the blockages, like he got in trying to go to Turkey, trying to go to Bithynia, okay, that was all blocked. But once you accept that, oh, here's the green light. Wow, I'm going to go straight and I'm going to run this way. There's no life like it. No life like it. Everyone else is basically, you know, just trying to do the logical thing at the time, so they think, but oh, whoops, I didn't foresee this factor or that factor or whatever. It's like David says in the Psalms, he says, I will run, I will run in the way of your commandments. Wow, this is the way I'm going to go. Oh, this is the way, walk in it. Get it in Proverbs again. There's two paths, the path to death and the path to eternal life. If you're on that path to life, run down it. It's all gonna, it's all gonna be good. It's all gonna work out in the end. As I say, despite blocks, apparent blocks here and there. So that's the life. This is the life. And it's the life that, as I say, begins when we're baptized. Because then we are given the spirit. We are born of water and of the Spirit. And what does it mean to have the Spirit? Well, they had the Spirit in the sense that you can see that their lives were propelled in a certain direction and they surrendered willingly to that and were propelled in that direction. And as I say, the straight course, the wind at your back, the Spirit at your back, absolutely straightforward. Um, great vision in Ezekiel of the cherubim, which I mean exactly what they were is not clear, but it's clearly some kind of manifestation of God's spirit through living creatures with wheels and that sort of thing. 
And it's observed that they moved in a straight course and they didn't turn as they moved. Although their heads and different parts of their bodies appear to be turning in all sorts of different directions, overall they went on a straight course. And that is how it is exactly. It's a visual kind of representation <laughs> of life in the spirit. That, yeah, it seems that this was blocked and that was blocked and this went that direction, then I went that direction. But the overall picture is direct, straight, with straight feet going in a straight course. And that's the way you want to go. Not endlessly pussyfooting around, here, is that right, is that right, or whatever. It's not the same as dogmatism, it's not the same as self-assurance. It's a case of, I have surrendered. And God, and I'm not trying to resist. I'm stupid, I'm weak, I'm an idiot, times I, so I am. But I have surrendered to him, and he has taken me with the wind at my back in the right way. Now, in the life of Jesus, would you like to um, give out a bit of the juice, maybe Corrine? Uh, Andy, thanks. Um, in the life of the Lord Jesus, you see this more than in any, any other life, that his life in the end was the road to Golgotha, was the road to death. Yep, in one sense, that's how it was. But he fully and absolutely, thank you, he fully and absolutely went that way. And yes, everything worked out. Sure, there was betrayal. Sure, there was disappointment. Sure, there were people who didn't want to know. There were people who hated. There were the haters, there was this, there was that. Absolutely, no doubt. But in the end, he was walking with a straight path. And people even noticed, the Samaritans for example, noticed that his face was set because he was going to Jerusalem to death. Not in a grim, nasty way. You know, the sort of fatalistic kind of determination of a man who knows he's got to die no, I don't think it was like that but rather the absolute calm assurance that I'm on that right path I am going that way and I know the wind is behind me so, let's remember him and the bread and the juice represent his body and his blood that we desperately want to be part of so let's give thanks Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus and for your work through his Spirit in our lives. We pray that we might surrender totally to you, that our bodies might be his body, our lives might be his life, and his life might come into me, and that with your Spirit behind us, we might make it to the end as more than conquerors, as running a race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For his sake. Amen. Amen.